This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now let's get weird. Welcome back to another episode of All the Sins Worldwide. This is Mims, and I'm here with Jess, and she has a case that I'm excited to hear about this week. I actually don't know anything about it, so I'm ready for you to jump right in. Yes, so we actually have a couple today. So even though we are All the Sins Worldwide, I do want to turn our focus to Wisconsin for today's episode. Um, and I have a couple of different cold cases from Wisconsin that I want to touch on with everybody. This first one is a cold case that happened in Racine, Wisconsin back in 1973. It was the murder of Tina Davidson. I had never heard of this one before until my boss actually told me about it because he lives in Racine and the place that she died was like right by where he grew up. So he knew about this one when he was really, really young. So he had told me about it and was like, you ever heard of Tina Davidson? Like you guys should talk about her. And I said, all right, let's look into that. So I went in and I did some research. So what I found is 15 year old Tina Davidson was found dead on March 27th, 1973 on a Lake Michigan beach on the South side of Racine. And she was found with 61 stab wounds in her chest and her neck. She also appeared to be hit in the head with a blunt instrument and knocked unconscious before she was stabbed. This was evidenced by the hemorrhage of one of her eyes. That just sounds so gruesome. And it appeared that the body had been dragged to the rocky area where she was found. There was drag marks and you could like you could see them in the autopsy and they were in the reports that she had like drag marks on her. And according to the Racine County coroner, David Cunningham, the autopsy showed that Tina had died as a result of massive hemorrhaging caused by one of the stab wounds to her heart. So so the hemorrhaging in the eye was the indicator that she had been knocked unconscious first. And then the hemorrhaging of the heart was how they found that she had died. So she had two different hemorrhages going on. Tina's mother, Kathleen Davidson, stated that she last saw Tina the night before that her body was found. And she said, quote, she was here with a friend with whom she had been going from time to time when I got home. A little while later, he, the friend, left. He had a bicycle last night, but he does have a car. Right after he left, Tina went to her room and came out with a canvas bag. She said she had some clothes in it and was going to take it to a friend's house. I didn't get worried when she didn't come back because she often slept overnight at homes of her friends. The next thing I heard about Tina was about 4 p.m. today, which was March 27th, when the coroner and police came here and told me her body was found on the beach, end quote. And a friend of Tina's told police that Tina had left her house around 8.30 p.m. on that Monday, saying she was going to another girl's house, but she never ended up getting there. 
gosh i just i hate when people don't end up making it home that's why i text all of my friends um as soon as i get home that i'm home because i don't know what it is i think it's like the true crime person in me that i'm just like everybody needs to know that i'm okay and i made it home and i need to know that everybody made it home as well Mm -hmm. I always tell my husband, I tell him every time you go somewhere, please let me know when you get home, especially if I'm not with him. Yeah. Please let me know when you get home. Please let me know when you get wherever it is you're going. And he does the same thing, especially with everything that happens in today's society with a lot of um, sex trafficking, mm -hmm. and a lot of just that really crazy, scary stuff. Like he's always very adamant about making sure that I am home when I go anywhere and I absolutely. do not blame him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do that with my sisters too. Like, oh yeah. Go somewhere sketchy. I'm like, please tell somebody when you get home because I want to make sure that you're still alive. Quick sidebar. So one time for my um bachelorette uh party, we went to Milwaukee and I had my girlfriends obviously and Airbnb. I don't know anything. I have like no idea where this guy lives. I don't know. You know, I didn't, we didn't have uh, that Life 360 back then. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't like track her and even like, I don't know. I feel like that's weird, but I would have done it in that instant, you know. Um, yeah. But she was like, I need to go with him. And she was fighting me on it. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. this is how people get kidnapped or never come home and it's gonna happen on my bachelorette party i don't think so yeah i would have left like brought the hammer down on that like yeah you are not going anywhere like do you not understand how sketchy this is like and it's so hard to reason with a drunk person so she oh. was like fighting me and fighting me and then uh eventually i was like okay fine i mean i, I can't make you do anything but then luckily so the guy was kind of an ass and he was like i don't know what your problem is but then his friend was like amazing and totally understood why i was freaking out and was like you know what here's my phone number call me right now just to know like this is my actual phone number i will make sure that you know i bring her back to you guys and um and he sure did like he came knocking at the door when they were done and um delivered her to us you know safe and sound so like <laughs> but you have to do that for your friends especially if there's alcohol involved or whatever mm -hmm. you know yep because that stuff can go south really really fast and I've definitely had some experiences with that in college myself like friends wanting to go off with guys that they hadn't met before or even ones that like you've heard a lot of things about yeah. I mean obviously like a lot of that stuff may or may not be true but sure. you know you don't know anything about it so you're kind of automatically kind of speculating like okay we need to kind of keep them on the radar just mm -hmm. safe right yeah but that's that's always so scary to me like I have to carry around like if I'm at the mall by myself and it's dark out when I go back to my car I have to have my pepper spray in my hand I'm like oh I'm yeah absolutely absolutely oh. yeah and it just sucks for us women that we i'm sure men feel this too because mm -hmm. um men are also targets but us especially because a lot of men are bigger and stronger than us so we have to be on alert even just to exist out in the world so mm -hmm. it's really yeah. hard 
And a big thing with Tina as well, when she was growing up, is she was known to use hitchhiking as her main form of transportation, which is another big no-no. Um, it's very dangerous. And I think it's actually illegal in Wisconsin, isn't it? I don't know, but that sounds correct. <laughs> it, it, it should be, because that's like, that's like an accident waiting to happen. Or a like, bad, a bad situation. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. So when I was doing research on this case, there was actually very few articles written about it. And there were many rumors about what happened. And because of this, a Facebook group was created by a woman who lived right by where Tina was found, as well as a friend of hers from New York. So there was a neighbor and then she had a friend from New York that created this Facebook page together in hopes that people would come forward and share any kind of information or memories that they have about mm-hmm. Tina in, in, in the case to bring them closer to finding closure with everything. And these ladies had spoken to Tina's friends, people who quote unquote claimed to be her friends, the cold case detective, um, they searched all over Wisconsin, as well as Memphis, Tennessee, not entirely sure why they searched Memphis. Yeah. They read everything on Facebook and crime threads about Tina and even checked out cults to find more information on her murder, because apparently there was a lot of rumors about it being some kind of ritualistic sacrifice thing or something to do with the occult. So there was a lot of, it took a big left turn with a lot of speculation and rumors about what had happened. Well, two things on that. I'm glad that they were diligent and like they were knocking on all the doors and not just like uh, being they were they're widespread in their search so i really like that and second Mm -hmm. of all um hitchhiking is banned here so you were correct oh it is okay that's what i thought because i knew it was banned or illegal in some places i just wasn't sure if wisconsin was one of them yeah and i'm glad that it is because hitchhiking makes me incredibly nervous absolutely i would never do it myself heck no (laughs) no way i'd be like i'd rather walk same um And one of the ladies who created this Facebook group had said, quote, we did this because Tina was a human being. We knew Tina had issues and was very sad. Tina was young, beautiful, and a talented artist at such a young age. But it saddened us to know the police. We feel screwed up and just didn't care. She just became another cold case, put in a box of papers, put on a shelf in a dusty, dark room. No, we just couldn't let that happen, end quote. In the end, they felt that the police didn't really do shit or they didn't do enough. And they're like, well, if you're not going to do something to try to figure out what's going on with this case, I'm going to do something. So then they, so then the two of them got together and created that Facebook page. Um, You can continue to follow them and their efforts to find out the truth and spread awareness of this case by following the public Facebook group, the murder of Tina Davidson. So if you go on Facebook and you search that, Um, You can join that public Facebook group and they have a bunch of different posts about um, potential evidence that they had found, conversations that they had with neighbors, friends, anybody that might have any kind of information about the case. There's some people have shared memories about Tina in there and experiences they've had with her that when they've known her in life. So if you want to check out more about that case, that Facebook group is public and it is open. So cold case number two I have is the case of Betty Rolfe 
and she's actually from Appleton. And this one was from 1988. So the morning of November 6th, 60 year old Betty Rolfe walked the 10 blocks to her job at a banquet hall, but she never got there. And she was ended up reported missing the next day. So it started to started to get traction very quickly. And after the report was filed, a police officer walking the route Betty took to work found her body under an overpass. And it was actually wedged behind a concrete abutment. I believe that's how you say that, which is like a structure at the end of a bridge okay. that helps support the bridge itself, kind of like an end pillar. Okay. She was like wedged behind that is where her body was found. Wow. And she had been beaten and sexually assaulted and her death ultimately being caused by asphyxiation. Uh, No arrests have ever been made in this case. And it's a pretty dormant case. And it's been that way for years. But the Outagamie County Sheriff's Department hasn't given up on finding Betty's killer. And this was all the way from 1988. So just knowing that that sheriff's department has not given up on this case. Like it gives me a sense of hope knowing that even though with the case of Tina Davidson, the police didn't really do a whole lot, that these guys for Betty Rolfe's case are actually doing what they need to do to try to figure this out. Yeah, and I think that just goes down to uh, different departments, uh, their motivation, and uh, at times uh, resources as well. Mm-hmm. And what's hard about these cases, at least for me, is the fact that they hit so close to home. Like, it's oh, yeah, absolutely. like literally with, you know, being in Wisconsin and then like with Betty Rolfs being in Appleton and that's so close to where I grew up. That's like, oh, my gosh, that's, that happened right where I lived, you know. Right. Because it's like it happens here. It's not just like a thing that happens in uh los angeles or new york or somewhere big it it happens anywhere because people are people exactly it could be super tiny towns it could be massive cities i mean look at all of ed gein's crimes like that was in plainfield and that's a super super tiny town in wisconsin right so it's not always the giant cities that this happens right um, investigators had developed a DNA profile from evidence left at that crime scene. So they have a profile of all of her DNA, but they had not had any hits with a list of known offenders in the combined DNA index system or the CODIS. And the DNA profile did eliminate virtually everybody that Betty ever knew or was connected to. So the person who had killed her is most likely a complete stranger. So at least they got that kind of narrowed down. But with the results being somebody that she didn't know or a total stranger versus somebody she did know, that makes the pool of suspects so much bigger and it could make it a lot harder for them to find out who had killed her. But at the same time, it's like, this is what is going to make us try even harder. There's so many people because it could be somebody from out of state, could be out of town, could be a different country for all they know. So it's, they have a lot more ground to cover. For sure. Yeah. It, it's almost like, do you want it to be somebody that's in the area or do you, would you rather it not be somebody from the area? It's like bad all the way around. Right. It's like nothing is going to be good here. No. 
and two of Betty's children had been hopeful that the renewed investigation would lead to the identity of their mother's killer, but the passage of time had been working against investigators, and time had really prevented them from talking to people or potential witnesses that were interviewed decades ago since they may have passed away or might have deteriorating memories, right? Deteriorating memories now. Um, they very well could be um, in a very old age. They could be suffering from Alzheimer's. They could be suffering from dementia. They could have moved away. They could have passed away. I mean, with the amount of people that were there at the time, they're starting to run out of people now that the years have gone by. And one of Betty's children had said, quote, I just feel like we're never going to have closure in this. We think about this all the time. We don't have any answers, end quote. And another quote from her son says, quote, you think about that all the time, but it's getting so old that you don't know if anything will ever come out of it. It's been so long. So it sounds like her children are starting to lose hope a little bit now that years have gone by and witnesses have passed away or might not be very liable with their information anymore. Um, but her, but Betty Rolf's case is still active despite the fact that 35 years have passed since she was found. So it is still ongoing, even though with the passage of time, things are starting to get harder. And the last case that I have here is the case of Amy Marie Yeary. This case took place in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. So we start on November 23rd, 2008, and three hunters came across the body of a young woman partially submerged in a frozen creek in the town of Ashford, which is in Fond du Lac County. And her body had been badly decomposed when she was found. She was dressed in a strapless black and pink top. She had a pink bra on and blue jeans with no shoes or socks on. So she had very limited pieces of clothing on with it being the end of November. And her death was believed to be a homicide that took place between July and September of 2008. So when she was found, she could have been killed a month before, two months before, or even like five months before. So the autopsy had determined that the young woman that had been found was between 15 and 21 years old. She was about five feet, one inch tall and 120 pounds with light brown to dark blonde hair. So that was the description that was given of this young lady that was found in this frozen creek. And three years after she was found, the then unidentified woman was buried in a cemetery near Wapan. So by the time she was buried, they still didn't really know who she was yet. Oh, wow. But in 2018, her body was exhumed for forensic testing. And by 2021, she was identified as Amy Marie Yuri of Rockford, Illinois, through the use of genealogy research by comparing DNA with her mother and sister, as well as dental x-rays. She was 18 years old when she had died. Oh, wow. Like, I can't even imagine like being that young and that sort of thing happening to you. Like, it's, it's no, so great. You haven't even lived your life. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much more that you had going for you that it's just gone now. Investigators learned that after she was identified that Yuri was a victim of sex trafficking and she had spent time in Chicago, Beloit, and Milwaukee. So that's like 
that's another thing about this case that just like terrifies me. Like she was 18. She was a victim of sex trafficking and she was in a bunch of different cities. And that's just that whole idea and thought just scares me and just like makes my, makes my muscles and my blood just go totally cold. And that's like one of my biggest fears. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't. So I, oh, like heart goes out to all of these people. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And detectives are still continuing to investigate this case and they're seeking the public's help in hopes of discovering the circumstances around her death. So they are still open with this. They are still looking. She was identified in 2021. So it's a very recent case that has been opened and been looked into. So those are three cold cases from Wisconsin that I had looked into for today's episode. Well, great job. I'm glad that you are covering, obviously we love Wisconsin, but a lot of cases that are not talked about or rarely talked about, I think those are not that they're more important, but they are important to talk about because I think a lot of the cases that we've covered on this podcast nobody has ever heard of and that just breaks my heart because every person that has died in this way needs to have their story told and that's why we do this exactly and I'm glad that um with the first one of Tina Davidson like I had never heard of that one until my boss had brought it up to me I swear that the cases that people uh, bring to me they're like have you covered this one those are always the cases that stick with me mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when somebody had asked me if I'd ever done anything with Albert Fish and I was like oh god no, but that's one of those things that'll happen one of these days because he is a sick motherfucker <laughs> dude I don't know if I could sit through that like <laughs> I've listened oh, to it and that's too much for me yeah he's a lot a lot to handle and yeah like just reading about him or even talking about him just like makes me sick to my stomach because he's just so fucked up not only was what he did fucked up but like him as a person just skeeves me out and I just hope I never meet somebody like him Mm -hmm. me too okay well that seems like a wrap on this week's episode thank you so much for listening on another episode Next week, I'm actually going to be covering another Wisconsin case. So we're just going to keep this Wisconsin vibe going. So make sure to listen to next week's episode and make sure to look us up on Instagram and on Facebook just to see the uh, people that are associated to these cases. Just put a a face to the name to everybody um, so that you can really personalize yourself with them because, yeah, we talk about them, but sometimes seeing a person's face really makes it hit home. So make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a five-star rating on Spotify. Yes, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sinners. Bye. Right, bye.
All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Mims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a glowing review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.